like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. Uh, in this episode, I will be continuing my look at Dick's novels of 1964 with O to be a blobble! Exclamation point. Um, so th- this story, uh, it combines a couple of themes that by this point are, are fairly uh, commonplace for Philip Dick. It, it deals with adultery and family. I guess that's the heart of the story is about family and the difficulty of constructing a family and making a family work. Uh, we also have a story of war and I guess this kind of the alien human divide to a degree and, you know, the ways of kind of mitigating war or how war can be averted. And then we got kind of the metaphor of the war alongside the metaphor of conflict within within the family. So that's that's the heart of this of the story. It, it's it's one I, I come back to a few times. I, I, I rather like it, especially with the way it looks at, at family. Dick has, was always obsessed with adultery and, and family life. And he really, something he seemed to have really struggled with in his in his career. Almost all of his novels have a subtext of adultery in one way or another. I mean, even back to some of his earlier, earlier stories to, you know, through, through the 1960s, it's there. So, um, this is one of the stories that really starts to get towards like a firm statement by, by Dick about how, how we can manage this and deal with this, this kind of the fragility of the family, something he seems to believe a lot in, but, but realizes is very, very fragile. So, um, Oh, to be a blowable, was originally published in Amazing in February 1964. And you can find it now in the fourth volume of the Collected Stories of Philip K. Dick, uh, the one called The Minority Report and Other Classic Stories. Um, So let's just jump into this tale and see what we have here with O to be a Blobal. So George Munster goes to see an automated therapist, Dr. Jones, about a rather unique problem. Munster is a decorated veteran from the war against the Blobals. The Blobals were aliens that emigrated to the solar system and eventually ran into conflict with with Terra, with Earth. Munster is unmarried, but he has a big problem. To become a secret agent against the Blobals, he had to take their form, right? So he had to basically become a Blobal in order to be a spy, right? Of course, these, these, these aliens look very different. And they look radically different, right? Uh, their name implies sort of what they look like. You can kind of vision, envision what a blobble is. We'll get the description of, of what a blobble is later on, right? So it's not just like in Star Trek, right, where they need you need to look like a Klingon or something for secret missions. So they just kind of give you the nose ridges and the head ridges and, you know, Klingon clothes from the replicator and then send you off with a translator, I guess. Um, here it was like a much more physiological transformation he had to go through to affect this job is so serious that he, it affects his fa- his family life and he can't have a, a normal sex life a normal marriage marriage life because of his service in the war so we got, I guess we got a little bit of a theme here and come to think of it of the neglected veteran if you want to go that far with it so later at home he 
Mr. Munster, he reflects on his meeting with this robot therapist and he realizes he didn't get too much out of it. He's still going to convert to a global form for 12 hours each day. That's his problem. He stays human some of the time, but for 12 hours every day, he has to revert to this. This means he can't get a job. He can't get a wife. And he has to basically live on the veteran's dole. And he's been this way for a decade since the war ended. He finally gets a phone call from Dr. Jones. And the doctor suggests he might have a solution to Munster's problem. So he goes to the office the very next day. Dr. Jones introduces Munster to a pretty woman named Miss Vivian Arrowsmith. Jones explains that the woman is a global spy captured during the war. She can't return to global society on Titan because she converts to human form 18 hours a day. Jones computes that they share the human form six hours each day, if you line them up. So the plan is get them married, and they, they do. So years later, Dr. Jones is questioned about the marriage between R. Smith and Munster. Although not illegal, you know, it's, it's interspecies. So in 1964, if, if uh, the, the Supreme Court finally struck down state laws that prohibited interracial marriage in a case called Loving, Loving v. Virginia, uh, and that from that point on, interracial marriages cannot be restricted by, you know, under, under the U.S. Constitution. So it's, I don't know if this is what Dick was thinking about when he wrote this, but he throws it in here. It's not illegal to marry an alien. Nevertheless, they had kids. And these four kids, the question is, you know, what are they going to be? And, you know, I don't know if there's any Mendel in genetics here. I, I doubt that Dick spent the time to think about this. But we have four children, one global, one human, and two hybrids. And, I mean, maybe this would happen, I guess. I, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. If a hybrid is possible, right? Probably not, <laughs> unless being a global is like a recessive gene or something. But anyways, that's what happens. We have two hybrids that are, I guess, like his parents, that they revert back and forth. And we have the one human and one, one global. But their marriage is beginning to break up. The main problem with the monster marriage was that Vivian made more money than George. And having children made matters worse because George Munster was kind of on this veteran's dole. I guess Vivian, because she's 18 hours a day as a human, maybe she can have a better job. Um, but anyways, this the children exacerbate the family problems. Vivian wants George to spend more time with the global chilled child, too. The first child, the global, made George feel like a failure because he didn't have a human kid or at least a hybrid, right? But he doesn't think much of the hybrid children either. George still sees him as aliens. So he only really has that one kid that he considers really his, a really human kid. George starts to think that to save his marriage, he should move to Titan. George has become, over time, a, a rather wealthy businessman, but he's still unhappy in his marriage. Eventually, he finds a much more mundane solution to his family problems, and that's it. That's He gets a mistress. So this covers a lot of the history of the family that Dr. Jones is reflecting on. But basically, you start with resentment because of unequal income in the family. Then as George makes more money, becomes fairly wealthy businessman, he, he just takes on a mistress. You know, there's a favorite kid of each parent. So these kind of typical middle-class, bougie family problems that you almost want to say Dick 
was having these problems in his marriage in 1964. It, he always wears his emotions on his sleeve, especially on these family issues. So he's just he's just writing what happened to him. I'm quite sure something was going on when he with maybe he had a fight with his wife on some of these issues, and he just starts um, writing it down. He does give him make himself rich here. I don't know how rich he was in 64. I'm writing those writing those silly sci-fi novels. But anyways, he's got a mistress, Nina. Now Nina. Because obviously he's not going to be able to find a human mistress who still can't handle the fact that he's a blobble half the day. Oh, by the way, what is what does a blobble look like? Right. Um, I don't know if we get a firm description anywhere in the story, but we get verbs <laughs> like oozed. Like when George is in blobble form, he'll ooze to places. So basically, this the image we get is just of like a, a gelatinous cube or something like a big blob. Um, that, that's what he looks like after day. So he can't get a, a human girlfriend still, but he's able to find another global spy to, to marry. So it's very much like his wife. He just basically marries his wife, but someone just, or someone in the same situation. He tries though to save his marriage and he does it by saying we should, we should emigrate to Iowa. Vivian doesn't want to. And then divorce proceedings begin. Dr. Jones calls at some point and George tells Dr. Jones how he had a fourth child on the way, um, who should be the full-blooded Terran. And, okay, so at this point they had the two hybrids and the global child, and George was completely frustrated. He, the, the, third, the fourth child coming is going to be the human one. So he thinks, you know, this should be a full-blooded Terran, and this will maybe help him kind of negotiate the marriage, like, I'll take the human kid. You can have the global kids and the hybrids, right? Jones volunteers himself as a couple's counselor, but George assures him that the marriage is over and that he's having a relationship with another global spy. Later, George gets news that if he wants his business to expand to Io, he's going to have to become a citizen of Io, which means becoming a global. I guess, so the globals live on Titan and they live on Io. So I guess they control all those moons of the gas giants. It's, I guess Dick always just throws stuff there, whatever he wants. Game players, lugs, if he wants, or whatever. Just puts put the aliens out on the the moons of Saturn and, and Jupiter. So anyways, he's got to go to Io to become a citizen, but he's got to become a full-time blobble if he wants to do that. So Vivian goes to see Dr. Jones for more advice, and she reveals that she underwent therapy, and now she's human 24 hours a day. So she's a blobble who finally decided to go fully human, not just 18 hours a day, but all day. And then George has already already left to become a blobble full time. So on IO, George has completely converted to be a blobble and he just oozes everywhere. So the human becomes a blobble, the the wife becomes a human, and that that's because of marriage. Marriage has completely transformed these people into the opposite of what they were initially. Now, they do have four kids, Vivian and, and George, but I got to think that like they're only human together for six hours a day. So I guess that that interrupts that must com complicate the sex life a lot. Right. Because does that line up at nighttime or they're going to have to do it during the day? You know, or, of course, he's happy that she's human for those six hours that they're together, but she's. She's having sex with an alien, a human, and not a blobble. So 
you think she comes to terms with that and she converts. She actually does what her husband wants by the end. But by then, the marriage has already failed. And George, for business reasons, has converted to be a global. Had either of them made these decisions early in their marriage, it might have been saved or whatever. But it's it's just a tragic story. Of, of But it's so ridiculous. It's, it's hard to take too seriously. But it is about a, a marriage that perhaps could have been saved. I don't know. I'm not the kind of person who mourns divorce or thinks a divorce is sad. If someone tells me I got divorced... You know, I'm not going to say, oh, that's too bad. I'm, you know, it's, it means you got out of a bad situation. It's something we should be be happy, happy for them, right? Not all of us get to have happy marriages, and those who don't shouldn't be stuck in them. Anyways, um, with Otopia Blobble, Dick is really talking about family and adultery and he, he uses it. He's into this theme so much in so many works. I, I just feel like I'm repeating myself all the time. It's presented really clearly here and powerfully. And, and I think the kind of the tragedy of this is we see two people who really are trying to make something work, but it can't. And, and, the, and the feeling we get here is that two people really can't ever know each other very well. We are liquid, but our institutions such as marriage are solid. And that's the problem, right? Uh, so... Bauman, what's his name? Um, Zygmunt Bauman, the, the Polish, I think, sociologist, wrote this book called Liquid Love. And his big thing was liquid liquid modernity, right? So he, he doesn't kind of talk about postmodernism like some people do. He uses this term liquid modernity, you know, to talk about globalization and the current world we live in. And he's got a lot of, I think, concepts that work well with Dick's work, like liquid reality, liquid modernity, and and wasted lives too like kipple i mean zigmund Bauman in one of his books actually seems to talk about human kipple but you know liquid love the problem with liquid love is our relationships are so much more fluid and we're such fluid people and the world around us is fluid but we have these institutions that were made and constructed and defended in a time in which lifelong marriage made sense right people didn't live as long perhaps or if people did live as long, usually one spouse would maybe get sick, and so you'd have to remarry. So, or, you know, you kind of lived on farms, and marriage was more about keeping land in the family. It had a different purpose, and now we have this expectation of love in all our relationships, and that puts a lot of pressure on people to always be in love, right? So if you have an affair, the feeling is like, oh, you didn't love your wife, right? And even if you did, you know, there's other reasons people have affairs than that they don't love their spouse anymore, right? They might be a physical need. It might be boredom. It might be just a need for excitement. But we've created these kind of permanent institutions. And yeah, I guess divorce laws are liberalized. But still, this, the con, you know, it's still death to your part. Till death to your part is how we define it. And it's not going to work. And I think Dick realizes that. And the fact that we have a global here, which is kind of a liquidy figure, and we have people morphing between human and global form, reflects on just how much we change throughout our life. And that we can't have institutions designed to be permanent in that case. At the climax of the story, Vivian is converted to being a full human full-time and George is converted to being a global full-time. Now, does this happen in marriages very often? I bet it does, where people break up because they're too different, yet years later, they're either more alike than ever or have swapped positions, right? The dog person marries the cat person, but 20 years later, after the divorce, they swap. And then one likes the other one likes the dog, the other one likes the cats or, or whatever. This was actually what happens in the Tennessee William play Summer and Smoke, by the way, if you want to um, revisit that, that particular play. 
I'll just give you the introduction. When was this written? This was, it's 48, so it's possible Philip Dick read it. So the synopsis here. Um, so Summer and Smoke is set in Glorious Hill, Mississippi through the turn of the century in 1960 and centers on a high-strung unmarried minister's daughter, Alla Weinmiller, and her spiritual sexual romance that nearly blossoms between her and a wild, undisciplined young doctor who grew up next door, John Buckingham Jr. She, uh, ineffably refined, identifies with Gothic Cathedral, reaching up to something beyond attainment. Her name, as Williams makes clear during the play, means soul in Spanish, wherein Buchanan, doctor and sensualist, denies her with the soulless anatomy chart. By the play's end, however, Buchanan and Alma have traded places philosophically. She has been transformed beyond modesty. She throws herself at him, saying, Now I've changed my mind. Or a girl would say, No, she doesn't exist anymore. She died last summer, suffocated in the smoke from something on fire inside her. But he has changed. He's engaged to settle down with a respectable younger girl as he tries to convince Alma that what we had between them was a spiritual bond. She realizes at any rate it's too late. In the final scene, Alma accosts the young traveling salesman at dusk at the town park, and as the curtain falls, she follows him off to enjoy an after-dark entertainment at Moon Lake Casino, where she has resisted Buchanan's attempts to seduce her the summer before. So, there. Same basic concept. Of course, there's not a marriage there. Here, it's the, the crucible of marriage that transforms people. Anyways, back to Odivia Blobel. As Dick explains, the novel is about war and the requirement in war to become like your enemy to be victorious. This is from his, his liner notes and or his, his textual notes he gives at the end of... We, we have these at the end of Volume 4 of the Collected, collected Stories. He actually wrote quite a lot. I don't know when this was anthologized, but it was, in, it was apparently anthologized twice. Once in 1976 and once in 79. And for one, in 1976, he wrote, Here I nailed down the ultimate meaningless irony of war. The human turns into the blobal, and the blobal, his enemy, turns into the human. And there it is. it all is. The futility, the black humor, the stupidity. And the story, they all, end up, they all wind up happy. And then he's got a longer comments on the story in 1979. And here he's also just talking about this idea that we became like the Nazis eventually. And he talks about some of the background of the publishing of the story. So that's his thought of it. He, he wrote, We had beaten the Nazis, but both the U.S. and the USSR were getting more and more like the Nazis with their huge police systems every day. Look at what we became in Vietnam just to lose, let alone to win. Can you imagine what we'd have to become, what it had to become to win? Now, the story speaks to us also about the crisis in the family, though. And it's something Dick doesn't mention in the liner notes or in the, the editorial notes, the inter little introductions he gives. But... You know, it's so clear that this is a story about family and adultery. I don't know why I wasn't thinking about it in 1960. Maybe in the late 70s, he was a much happier place romantically than he was in 1964. It's really about the seemingly in, seeming inability of people in intimate relationships to understand each other and create meaningful lives together. So it's really kind of Mendel and genetics or really loose reading of it that gives George two hybrid children, one alien children and, and one human child, potentially. We're reminds of the utter, utter infamiliarity we have with those we love in this, this liquid world. He can't even really love his children. It would be interesting to see the story from the children's point of view. Um, now, it's also, in terms of Dick's long career, a story about monogamy and the alienation within our most fundamental institutions of modern culture, the family. When we first read of the psychiatrist's plan to ensure that two hybrids spend several hours a day in the same form, we're reminded of the dual-income family who spend so much time together or such limited time together each day 
and the time they spend is really a luxury many of us don't even enjoy and you know in the 1960s in the middle class life it was one thing but you know you could look at places like taiwan or japan today where you have what are literally called weekend marriages where i think that term comes from the japanese where you know usually it's men go out to work 6 a.m they come back at 11 p.m going to bed and you know too tired to do much spend much time with one spouse they wake up and and they're off and then they kind of fill in their married time in the weekends or maybe texting social media maybe helps a little bit with that you know and that, that's being replicated here and from the doctor's point of view that's good enough you know what do you expect most people don't see each other more than six hours a day so you know be happy with what you got Indeed, George Munster and his wife seem almost lucky, right, but to have six hours of quality time together. In this reading, George's time as a global is akin to the normal bourgeois participant in the modern economy's time at work. In a way, it is because this is what he did for military service, and his payment is in the military dole he receives. Now, yeah, he eventually goes into business on his own later on. Dealing, I think it was with the globals. He's able to kind of import. That's why he has to move to Isle later on. It's the time he spends away from loved ones. It's it's great pain and, and alienation from family. But it's also a big part of his consciousness and identity, so much so that he's able to become a blobal by the end of the story. When he chooses to spend his entire life as a blobal, instead of dealing with the profound crisis within his own family, he chooses to invest himself fully into this other identity. Much like how individuals maybe abandon their family for more secure, predictable, and understood environments in, in the workplace. So that's that's the story. That's to be a blobble, and that's my thoughts on it. It's um, it's a real good one. It's um, certainly one you should read if you haven't read it yet. So I guess that that'll do it for this this episode. If you have any of your own thoughts about "Oh to Be a Blobble," please leave them below. I would love to hear from you. Hear from your hear from your comments. You can also send me an email at hundredpagescast at gmail.com. Um, but with that, I'll see you next time with uh, War with the Fanules, I think. Kind of another weird story about an alien, a preposterous alien that the humans are at war with. Um, so see you next see you next time. You must search till you find the And contentment forever If you